Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. This is Queer Squared. My name is Ashley. Hello, everyone. My name is Ogi. That's pronounced like Yogi Bear without the Y. And yeah, yeah, I'm really happy to be here right now. So just to give our listeners some background information, um, first of all, I live in LA. So if you hear any background noise, it's because I do live right behind the freeway. So there's that background information. And then there's also um, just a little bit of the lore between me and Ogie and the lore of this podcast. <laughs> so Ogie and I have been friends since high school. We met when Ogie was a little swimmer sports freak of sorts and uh-huh. um I was not but we became friends um I copied all of his homework in AP bio and <laughs> our friends kind of just like married together and so it, from then on out we were besties and then we went to the same college together and then we graduated and we are still besties and one thing about our friendship and I think both of our love languages honestly is just like sharing the thoughts that we have throughout the day that just pop into our head randomly and not necessarily as a need for validation, but something that I really love about Ogi is their ability to like add and contribute to what I'm saying in a way that's not just like reflecting back what I've said and just like validating me. Like I want more than that. And Ogie's like one of the smartest people I know. So that's why like they're the person that I turn to when I have all of these thoughts. So yeah, that's my take. Um, what do you have to ha- what do you have to add, Ogie? Aw, I'm like blushing right now. That's such a beautiful thing to say. Um, I second everything you said. I think what excites me the most about this podcast, and this is something that Ashley said previously in like one of our conversations, is that we want to create like a catalog of these conversations that we're having. And the biggest thing to me is like, these are conversations that like we already are having with each other, like constantly whenever like we have thoughts, we discuss them. And what I have gained from it is so much insight. Uh, like Ashley brings something intellectually that I I don't want to use the word lack, but I just don't have. So whenever I'm able to like talk about these ideas that I have or even just things that I notice in my life and I'm wondering like, wow, like is this something that's unique to Ogi that I'm experiencing because I'm this amazing person? Or is this something that Ashley also notices? And I think we're able to get into spaces of really deep reflection and really deep analysis of like not only who we are, but like what we want from the world and I think that's something we seek to do here is like cultivate a space where we can go into deep reflection and hopefully get you to think about things that you don't normally think about or even like validate things that you're already thinking um and yeah that's what I want to do here really yeah definitely and you know we really want to encourage people to disagree with us Mm -hmm. in a way that like feels right to them not just like disagreeing with us for the sake of disagreeing which is actually something Ogi used to do all the time to me just want to put that (laughs) out there um but you know they've grown they've grown and they've learned and for that I am thankful but I will say I have been leaning into the idea and the concept of being wrong lately 
I feel like I actually learn more when I'm open to the idea of being wrong. So I'm asking our listeners to be open to that idea and to lean in to the evolution of your thought processes, because that's what I do every time I talk to Ogi. I will say it happens rarely that I'm wrong, actually. So disclaimer (laughs) that a lot of you will be wrong and I will mostly be right. But (laughs) nonetheless, this is a space to learn and grow together. And one thing I really believe about human beings, I'm about to go on a soapbox, but I'm going to say it anyway, is I think we are all innately capable of growth and redemption. So when we talk a lot about like cancel culture in like online discourse communities, I don't love the idea of just like excommunicating people from, you know, spaces because of one idea or concept that they don't have exactly correct. Mm-hmm. That's not really where we're able to like grow as human beings. Like, I don't know. I mean, obviously everything is contextual. So, you know, right. it depends on the situation. Um, But overall, I think it's okay to be wrong sometimes. And yeah. it's okay to admit that and be held accountable for that. But in order to be held accountable, like there needs to be that space to like actually open up and to be wrong. Totally. I love that you brought that up because being wrong is a necessary step in growth. Like mistakes are required. If you don't recognize that you're making a mistake, you're never going to grow. And it's just a necessary part of being human. And unfortunately, like actually mentioned, Things like cancel culture can lead people to be afraid to be wrong, be afraid to make mistakes. And oftentimes that can lead to defensiveness. And that's something I want us to like say hello to like, okay, like maybe I'll get defensive at some point throughout this conversation. And that's okay. Like egos are going to put walls up. That's just what egos do. But just like reminding ourselves that it's okay to be wrong. And... I kind of love it. Like whenever I realize I'm wrong about something, I'm like, whoa, wait. Because it's like there's so much possibility once you're there. I feel like thinking that you're right almost like blocks you off. Because the reality is that there are many right answers. There are many truths. And I think the more that we can come to recognize how how true all these truths are, the <laughs> the more we come to understand things fully. Yeah, exactly. And I definitely believe in that concept of like multiple truths existing at once. Um, Do I think there might be a truth true? Maybe. And Mm. maybe that's, you know, what I am most of the time. Who's to say? (laughs) But um, I digress. I think times when I've like reflected on like relationships or situations that I've been in the past and kind of acknowledged my when my ego was activated and when I fucked up. Like years later, I'm like, oh, my God, I guess I really am human. And Mm -hmm. I just played the victim in that situation, which was, you know, I understand why I did it in that moment now. And I understand that, you know, how I can apply this information in the future to not react that way and to nourish my relationships instead of holding on to something that's going to make me feel better instead of repairing the relationship. Um. 
those are some things we definitely plan on talking about in the future, by the way. I think we kind of just like touched on those tangents. And right now, I would actually like to pivot into a related topic, which is our big three, actually. Um, uh-huh. Maybe based off our responses, our lis- listeners may know like where we fall astrologically speaking. I will go ahead and let Ogi introduce their big three first, and then I'll go ahead. Cute. Okay, so I am actually a huge nerd when it comes to astrology. I specifically study like Hellenistic astrology and everything else as well. I am an Aries sun, Gemini moon, Gemini rising. I have an Aries stellium. I love myself clearly. And I think something that's important to note is that my Gemini moon is in my first house, which I think also brings a deeper sense of emotional awareness that most Aries Gemini combinations might not have. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree in a way that is me agreeing with you because I know that you know exactly what you're talking about and not that I know what you're talking about because <laughs> I I have a very surface level understanding of astrology, which is just so funny to me because I actually introduced Ogi to astrology. Uh-huh. Um, but Ogi's actually low-key like a science nerd. So I think that's another reason why that you were able to like get into the actual math and science behind astrology and like the degrees and the conjuncts and all of that good shit um i however i know my chart and that's about it um so i'm a sagittarius sun cancer moon capricorn rising i do also have a capricorn and a sagittarius stellum stellium um to answer your question no i'm not okay but you know (laughs) that's why that's why i'm never wrong because i have a capricorn stellium like I think that just tells you everything you need to know about me. But I digress. I definitely think we should have an episode, OU, where we like, where you talk most of the time and I ask you questions. (laughs) Um, Or we could have you do a reading of my chart and your chart. That would be really fun. It would be very vulnerable for me, but I think I need that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. Um, Okay, so... We're going to talk today actually about Depop resellers, which mm-hmm. I feel is coming a little bit out of left field based off of what we talk about so far. But full disclosure, also, we recorded this episode already as like a rough draft, which I think we will be having preliminary conversations at the very least moving forward because we really wanted to get all of our thoughts out there in the open before we kind of solidified how we felt about the topic. Mm-hmm. And I think I don't think I've fully changed my mind on the topics. I think some thoughts have expanded and I think some points have a little bit more importance for me now than others. So, Ogi, I'm going to hand it over to you if you want to give me your initial thoughts on this. Right. OK, so initially we started the conversation with talking about Depop resellers and I'll just like start by first saying what a Depop reseller is. So Depop is an online community through an app of people that resell items that they have, mostly clothes or shoes, typically vintage, typically found at thrift stores or like upcycled. I would call it like an online consignment shop. It's a space for people to, you know, do just that. I think inherently there's nothing necessarily wrong with that i 
have shopped on Depop before. Ashley loves to shop on Depop. We're not like saying that Depop resellers are inherently bad, I think. I do have some qualms with like certain activities that occur on the marketplace and how those things reflect, I would say, themes that are happening on a wider scale, I think, everywhere. My my first frustration is how within Depop, I find there's been a kind of infiltration of people who have joined the community for the purpose of exploiting others for money. So one thing that I wanted to bring up is how oftentimes people will buy things from a Depop account and then resell it at a much higher price. This reminds me of like the debacle with like artists who have concerts and then their tickets get bought by people for the sole purpose of reselling. And all I have to say about this is that I understand the hustle. I understand that you want to make money and that's all fine. And at the same time, I want to live in a world where we don't operate from a place of taking advantage of others and taking advantage of other people's either lack of knowledge or lack of resources to get ahead. Um, it's a world that we currently live in. And it's also not a world I would love to live in. So that's my number one frustration is just the exploitation that is happening now on Depop. I don't think was happening as much before. Yeah, exactly. I definitely agree. And I think, you know, when you see the counterpoints for this argument, typically from resellers themselves, they always say something along the lines of, there are landfills full of clothing. Thrift stores will constantly say that there is no shortage of donations. And so they are doing this out of sustainability or environmental reasons. And I just don't think that's a valid argument because most of the time, if we're thinking critically about the clothes that are ending up in the landfills, it's usually fast fashion brands. It's usually clothing that might be considered, I don't know, out of style or clothing that's stained, clothing that's not in good condition. And so you have to ask, like, what types of clothing are the resellers looking for in thrift stores? And one thing you mentioned was vintage clothing. They are mm -hmm. definitely looking for vintage, st vintage stuff. They're looking for trendy items. They are looking for the items that are of much higher quality. They're not just going in there and picking random clothing items in the racks. And they're typically shopping in within a limited size range as well, because sometimes they'll also talk about like they are making clothing more accessible because there are some people who don't have the time to go thrifting. Which that's a conversation in and of itself, right? About time being the biggest resource. So why do these resellers get to have that resource and not others? But I digress. So I feel like their arguments about sustainability and accessibility are kind of null and void. Because if they're talking about accessibility, they would be buying clothing of all size ranges, both straight sizes and plus sizes, but they're not doing that. They're only buying typically, I would say like most resellers that I find are selling sizes between like two and six. 
um, which is a actually a pretty small percentage when you look at the size ranging of individuals in the United States, especially women. So I don't know. I don't think that's a great point. Another thing about the environmental aspect about them saying that, you know, they're being more sustainable this way is that they are most of the time shipping their items. So I don't think they get to, you know, say that either. And again, you know, Ogi and I are not saying that like Depop resellers are evil. I just don't agree with the concept of trying to moralize a behavior that isn't capable of being like moralized. And I think this kind of brings a bigger question to the conversation of why do we feel like we have to rationalize or justify everything we do to -hmm. make it sound morally just. And I think it has a lot to do with like the political climate that we live in. And especially amongst like leftist circles that everything they do has to be like ethical. And, you know, we say it all the time that like there is no ethical consumption under capitalism, um, which I believe in, but I also do believe in harm reduction at the same time. And I just don't think Depop reselling falls under harm reduction at all. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's so it's okay to recognize that something that you're doing is creating harm and at the same time understand that, that doesn't make you a bad person. So I think what Ashley was touching on in the sense of like oftentimes when Depop resellers are confronted with the thought that maybe what they're doing isn't necessarily all like happiness and roses, the fallback is, well, what I'm doing is actually great for the environment. So you should be grateful that I'm providing this service. And it's like, well, why aren't you okay with having the conversation though? Like, it's okay to say, oh yeah, like maybe I'm not providing access to clothing to people of all sizes. And potentially the answer is to start doing that or to just recognize that and not present yourself as this like grand image of accessibility because you're not. Um, The same way that like I don't entirely shop super sustainably like I do shop from fast fashion like half my closet is thrifted the other half is fast fashion I'm also not telling everyone that I'm like the model of sustainability and if someone were to judge me on it I would say yeah you're right I'm not and that's okay because we're humans we most of us are operating with limited resources and it's fine to not be perfect And it's also just weird when you have people on, for example, like social media, like TikTok or Instagram, like speaking as if they are models of how others should behave and like coming on to things as if they are righteous and perfect. And it's like there's so much fakeness behind that. And it's fine. Like if you want to do that, that's okay. And at the same time, my response to that is like, but why? Like, why do we lie to ourselves to be likable to others? Why do we say we are something we're not just to get validation when it's like, it's, doesn't it feel better to just be honest with yourself and say, well, I'm doing this as a hobby. I'm doing this for money and that's it. 
And that's okay. It's okay to just do things as a hobby. It's okay to just do things for money. Just don't act like you're better than others because of it, you know? Literally. And I think one thing that you said that made me remember another point about like accessibility is you cannot claim that you're making things more accessible if you are like upcharging by like 50 to 100 (laughs) percent. Because, you know, I'm going to tell the story of a personal anecdote, if you will, that I think has planted this seed in both myself and Ogi about why we wanted to talk about this for so long. And basically what had happened was I was on Depop (laughs) one day, as Ogi mentioned, I do shop on Depop and I also have sold clothes on Depop. I don't source clothing to sell on Depop. I will sell things that like I don't wear anymore or that I've gotten like wear out of that. It's just like not my style anymore or something, but I digress. I was on Depop one day and I came across this seller who was selling a pair of slides, a a pair of like furry cheetah print slides. And they were $30. I had seen them at the 99 cent store. In fact, I (laughs) owned a pair from the 99 cents. They were exact replicas or the, exactly the same like i'm not even gonna say replica but like literally the same like they were sourced probably from the same wholesaler the betrayal and yeah and so obviously i'm a bitch that's gonna stir the pot um <laughs> i commented on this person's post literally just saying these are from the 99 cent store um they did not like that. They did proceed to block me. Um, so <laughs> that was fine. I did obviously go to Twitter, which is, you know, my personal soapbox. And I shared this story with my loyal followers who did decide to also go into the comments <laughs> of this post of this reseller to comment the facts of the situation that these slides were from the 99 cent store. Um, and then, you know, the reseller did block all of them, but, you know, we spoke our truth about the sto- the slides from the 99 cent store and that's all that matters. But I think it's a perfect, like that's a 300% markup. Um, so that just, you know, we're not saying, I'm not saying that like $30 is like not affordable for some people. Cause it obviously is, but it's like the principle of the matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've seen people who will buy jackets from the bins like the goodwill bins and we'll end up selling them for like two hundred dollars and first of all i have a bone to pick about reselling jackets and baby clothes because you you shouldn't be buying those things like i truly believe that you should not be buying those things exclusively to sell them because when we talk about like resources that are in high need in our communities like warm weather clothing and clothing for children um are pretty high on that list so i i definitely um don't agree with people buying those things to resell them what else was i going to say okay do you have any thoughts on that yes i something i wanted to talk about because like the story about the the slides i like to call this person the 99 cent store gentrifier I really love that story, actually. I quote it all the time because I think it gets to, like, a very important point and, like, frustration I have with, like, uh, I would say girl boss culture, like, LLC advocates where it's, like, this idea of, like, making everything a business, making everything profitable. 
And that's beautiful. I, I want people to make money. And at the same time, it's like, but not by fucking people over, like not by exploiting others, not by taking advantage of people because what kind of dynamic are we creating? And then what ends up happening is that we lose safe spaces. So like to me, Depop, at one point felt like a safe space to buy vintage stuff that's being resold. You have to be more careful now because people are on there taking advantage and there's other places that have been infiltrated as well. Like for example, I have my own qualms with Etsy now because it has also been infiltrated by people. And my frustration is that I have been there at times specifically because I wanna buy handmade things being sold by people who are making them and after purchasing something, I realized that the item was being drop shipped from another country. And I specifically went on Etsy because I wanted to avoid drop shipping. I wanted, if I didn't care, I would have just bought it on Amazon, but I did care. And that, and it frustrated me because then it's like, wow, now I have to make an extra effort. Now I have to go out of my way. Now I have to like be more, you know, selective and be a little bit paranoid about like how people are behaving around me. And the reality is that the world we live in, we do have to be paying attention to those things. And at the same time, we don't ha we shouldn't have to, though. Like, I think we are capable of being able to understand that we can make moves to sustain ourselves and have abundance in our lives. And at the same time, be aware that the way to do it isn't to take away from other people's abundance and to take advantage of other people. And that's the part that frustrates me. At the end of the day, I I see myself as someone with a huge heart and I just don't like seeing people being taken advantage of and knowing that that's happening does frustrate me. And yeah, that's my qualms with this like profit-centered mindset. I think it bleeds into everything. Um, it bleeds into all aspects of our lives. I mean, people are turning their hobbies into businesses and that's beautiful. And at the same time, it can lead to like almost, it take it can take away the joy out of a lot of things too. When everything we think about is how can we make more money? It's just like, I don't know. Sometimes things are just good to do because we want to do them and that's enough. Exactly. I think there's definitely this pressure to like, monetize every interest and every hobby that you have again just like this grind culture is just it's really toxic and it really sucks one thing I wanted to bring up um kind of about this thought process of having to like moralize everything you do it reminds me of this like twitter story that happened like i think last year at some point of this individual who was like pretty big in a in discourse community i'm not sure like which one but i believe they were like queer non-binary and had um some disabilities this was information they put in their bio and it turned out one day that they revealed that they worked for Lockheed Martin, the like <laughs> arms manufacturer. Not only did they work for Lockheed Martin, um, they got their job through nepotism. They were like like Lockheed Martin's nephew or something like that, like something oh really God. wild. And so they went on like this feel about how because they have um, a disability, they have to work from home. They cannot go into an office. And I'm just like, 
okay, like I I understand the like constraints that you have when it comes to work, but like how are you going to claim to be like a leftist and work for an arms manufacturer? Like and also like literally not acknowledge that you got this job handed to you and i don't know it's just like really like stuff like that it's just like really ridiculous like i need people to normalize keeping their mouth shut sometimes like sometimes (laughs) you don't need to talk and i feel like if i was a depop reseller and these conversations came up i would just simply not talk i would shut up because first of all discourse communities or anytime like these topics come up everyone feels obligated to input their two cents and like obviously that's what me and Oki are doing right now but that's different Uh, (laughs) um, but I feel like people feel the need to defend themselves you know against like people like us and you don't need to do that like literally Ogi and I are just literally putting our thoughts and our opinions out there we're not targeting a specific person yet someone might hear this who is a depop reseller and get really pissed off and they are entitled to those emotions do they need to vocalize them no they don't need to do that if they were to find me one day and be like what you said was really fucked up and really wrong I'd be like that's your opinion um and you're entitled to that and that's totally fine but you don't actually need to vocalize like every defensive thought you have sometimes you can literally just like shrug it off and go on about your life and that will bring you a lot of peace i promise Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so true i think something that came up for me when you're talking about lockheed martin thing is like a conversation about nepotism that I want to have because like I think it this is also very topical and it has a similar energy to me than what we're talking about already because like so in at its core nepotism is just using your networking whether it be your family or a friend typically it's family to get a position of power that you wouldn't be given otherwise this happens often in Hollywood it happens in almost every industry and at its core I respect it like if my kid if my kid wants to be a podcaster one day I would give them the resources that I gained from doing my own podcast right like I I have no qualms with like someone wanting to give someone more resources than they were given when they were younger I think that's beautiful I think that's in a sense, everyone's goal as a parent, right? Which is usually the people who benefit from nepotism are children of people who have the power. At the same time, what bothers me is when someone who is a nepotism baby is called out for being a nepotism baby. Then they get defensive and yeah. it's like, no, but like, actually, I worked really hard for everything and I am so much better than everyone else. And it's like, you, the thing is, you're not. No one is better than anyone else. The people Mm -hmm. who have certain positions have them because they were given access to resources, whether it be the education to do what they're doing or they knew someone who was looking for the job. And the part that's frustrating about nepotism isn't really the nepotism itself. It's the lack of acknowledging that it's happening. Like there are so most of your favorite artists are probably kids of producers or directors. And they got that job because their dad was the one directing the TV show. And like cool for them. And at the same time, we also should recognize that it's not fair to the people who don't have that. 
and that that doesn't mean that this person is so much better. And this this rhetoric translates into how people idolize billionaires and are like, oh, my God, like, I want to do everything this billionaire does because this is what's going to get me to do this. And it's like, no, like, these are regular humans who just happen to be born either into the money or happen to stumble into a specific opportunity that allowed them to exploit this money and literally i mean exploit the masses and we can get into like the issues with like wealth accumulation but just in the conversation of like nepotism and how people don't acknowledge that their circumstances aren't just because of their own grandeur like you're not better than anyone because you have tons of money you just happen to have tons of money the person next to you is just as worthy of all the resources you have. And arguably, you aren't worthy of being a billionaire because no one should have that much access to resources, especially when other people are lacking. And yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to say that because I feel like it's necessary. Yeah. And I think another thing, too, about the nepotism conversation that is frustrating is people get really upset when like their qualifications come into question. So when it Mm -hmm. comes to nepotism babies, like say you have a singer or say you have a producer or whatever. And if I, it comes out that this person is a nepotism baby. And then now people are asking if you have a right to be where you're at if you are good enough to be where you're at and people get mad about that right people that's when people start to say things like I earned this spot you know I am really great at what I do like whatever and whatever I feel like having your qualifications called into question is the price you pay for not having to go through the grueling work of getting to that position you're at that other people have to go through like again keep your mouth shut like literally just be quiet because there's nothing you can say that will like actually prove that you are good enough to be in that position except for your work right exactly if you are really if you actually belong in the position you have how whatever position it is however you got it your work will speak for itself and I really have to admire the nepotism babies out there in Hollywood who don't speak on this issue mm-hmm. because they don't need to, because their work is good enough to speak for them. The ones that are the loudest are the ones who are clearly very insecure. I'm talking <laughs> about Kendall Jenner in particular. Yeah. She's Please. always had a lot of shit to say about how, you know, she she earned her spot as a supermodel, whatever, whatever, whatever. And it's because she doesn't serve. She does not serve. Like her her walk is boring. The photo she shoots she does boring. Okay. In my opinion, you know, Bella Hadid, she's a nepotism baby. But guess what? Yeah. She doesn't talk about it or she doesn't speak on this issue because she knows how to serve. And that's that on that, honestly. Exactly. Exactly. Like if you're already getting defensive, you need to ask yourself, why am I getting defensive? Do they have a point? Literally. And I think a lot. Go ahead. Oh, I mean, I was just going to say, like, if you're secure in yourself, you shouldn't feel a need to defend yourself. So I think I think in my own personal cosmology, whenever I notice an insecurity, or I notice myself getting defensive, I take that as an opportunity to be like, oh, wait, like, 
I'm insecure about this? Why? And then I go into it and usually I find out that the insecurity has nothing to do with what the person was saying. And I end up coming out of the thought process more secure. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, like I actually am doing this because it's for me and this is what I'm about. And I don't know. I think if you ever notice like an insecurity come up and notice yourself getting defensive, I think that's a great opportunity to just go into it and really look at why you're insecure. I think it's a beautiful process. And I think that's what people are scared to do because Uh – whatever these celebrities are experiencing in those moments where they feel like they need to defend themselves and act like they got to where they are through their own sweat and blood, that feeling, you know, that probably arises for them is not an uncommon feeling. Like that feeling of insecurity, of defensiveness, most people experience that like on an everyday basis. And I think a lot of people are not able to really call it for what it is. So like what you mentioned right now, when like you feel defensive or something like that comes up and you are able to acknowledge that this is an insecurity that has nothing to do with that other person, a lot of people are not able to do that. And I think that's, it's, it it is a very challenging process to Mm -hmm. lean into. Like, I'm not going to lie. I think a lot of the ways that people react in their relationships, um, their negative reactions are driven by insecurity. And to admit that to yourself is like one of the hardest things you can do, that you are acting this way, you are acting out of anger, out of jealousy, mm-hmm. because you're scared. You yep. you don't feel good enough to be either who you're with or where you're at in life. And you don't know how to silence that self-talk. So, you know, I I empathize with that process or with those emotions in particular because I've definitely experienced those and I still do. And it's a process to work through them. And it's really hard Mm. and it's really scary. Um, Nonetheless, if I had millions of dollars... It would be a lot easier to do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that would just shut me up. It, literally, if I had the if I was a famous supermodel and if I had these internal thoughts that I wasn't good enough, I wasn't beautiful enough, I wasn't hot enough, I would just literally go buy myself like a sports car or something and that would be fine or I would go on an amazing trip somewhere or go just chill in my beautiful home. And I would literally fucking log out my phone where people were saying that shit. Like, it's that <laughs> simple. You know, rich people are in a better position because they do have all these things that will make themselves feel better. Um, other people don't. So, you know, I'm out here poor having to do positive self-talk <laughs> instead of just <laughs> flying to Italy. I don't know. So, you know, the empathy does have to end somewhere. I agree. And I think, I think that a big point here is like recognizing that like, these people that we see in all of our little boxes, whether it's our computer or our phone or TV, like they're humans, you know, like they're still humans. There's nothing special about them. There's nothing like, like they're just humans, just like us make mistakes. They deal with the same emotions we do. And the truth is like you were saying, it's very difficult to deal with these emotions. And that's why people get defensive and start to like say that they're on a moral high ground. It's like, actually you're wrong. I'm better than you. And that's really the insecurity talking. And I, I can empathize with that because holding yourself accountable is a muscle. Like it's not something that you can just 
start holding yourself accountable for all the things that you've done in your past on day one because it's going to literally cripple you. I, I shouldn't use that word. Um, it can debilitate you and lead to depression because we have made so many, all of us have made thousands of mistakes throughout our lives. There are actions that we have taken that have hurt people. And most of us haven't confronted that yet. And I think a part of being your true authentic self is confronting the fact that you have been a harmful person to someone else in the past. Whether it has been physical harm, emotional harm, psychological harm, things that you didn't even realize you were doing. Like, I am sure I have said things around other people that may have hurt them at the grocery store when I was talking to my friend without even realizing I was doing that. And I'm not saying that, like, you need to, like, feel bad about everything. And at the same time, I think it's important to recognize that holding yourself accountable is only going to get you closer to yourself. And I think that's really what's what's at the root of what we're talking about with our frustrations with Depop resellers, with our frustrations with nepotism babies, is that these people are in the spotlight and actively, visibly rejecting holding themselves accountable. And my frustration with that is that then everyone else just continues to echo that lack of accountability. And what I want for us to do is just to be like, hey, this is me. This is what I did. That's okay because it has to be. It has to be okay because I did it. And what do I need to do to move forward and continue, whether that is apologizing, changing behavior, separating yourself from that person so they feel safe, so you feel safe? Who knows? But you have to look at what you did first before you can figure out what's appropriate. And too many people are not doing that. Literally. And I think what you said that is honestly so beautiful is that holding yourself accountable will bring you closer to yourself. Mm. And I think with a lot of people, they don't like themselves. So they don't want to <laughs> do that. <laughs> like, no, really. Like, again, it kind of, it reminds me of like, I'm not sure, Ogi, if you can relate to this experience, but I know a lot of people who were like reared as young girls can relate that, you know, mm. when we were in elementary school or junior high or the, and there was like some little girl hating on us, um, our mothers would tell us that she's just jealous of you. And my mom was right. Like truly, actually, <laughs> she was right because I think a lot of I don't even remember specific instances of me being hated on as a little kid. I know they exist. But like thinking back on it, like these little girls see something that you have. And they feel like they don't have that. It could be like that it factor. It could be like your hair or your clothes or whatever. This isn't to say that like kids also are not regurgitating the things that they hear at home, like things that are actually coming from places of hatred and violence. I feel like that's a totally different story and situation. But even that comes from insecurity too. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, like people and, it, and then people who grow into adult haters. And, you know, this is not to say that I'm not a hater because I am a hater, but <laughs> <laughs> We're actively hating right now <laughs> a little bit. It depends <laughs> on what you're hating on, right? If you are hating on someone that you've never met or that you don't really know personally, you don't know who they are, you don't know what they're about, maybe you do and maybe you are jealous because you want those things and you ask yourself, mm -hmm. 
why am I not good enough to have those things? So to make yourself feel better, you are going to tear someone else down. And that is sad. That is, is honestly sad. really sad. So when I am a hater, I do it from a place of love. Love. <laughs> You're right. I'm hating from a place of love. Right. <laughs> and it's so different. You know, it's so, so different. And my real authenticators will understand because I would never hate on someone for the clothes that they were wearing. Mm -mm. I would never hate on someone for the hairstyle that they have, you know, those types of things I'm not going to hate on. Mm -hmm. Am I going to hate on someone's attitude? 100%. Am I going to potentially hate on someone's interest? Maybe so. I don't know. But um, the point is I'm not, hating from a place of insecurity. I know what my insecurities are. I'm not saying that I'm a completely secure person because I'm definitely not. But I don't let my insecurities influence my perception of others anymore because I'm aware of them, right? And that's something that I am working on. And I know that they're there. And I know when they come up. And that's when I'm able to kind of pull back from a situation or a relationship and realize what is about to influence my reaction. And acknowledging that that's not authentically how I feel or how I want to go about responding to someone or responding mm -hmm. to a situation. So that's my thoughts on the insecurity issue and accountability thing. Yeah. I mean, I want to continue with this conversation. Something that you mentioned that really stood out to me was the piece about like, actively and intentionally like slowing down and taking space to like go back to yourself when these things happen I think we live in a world that prioritizes speed that prioritizes always being on 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 and that's just first of all not realistic it's not healthy and it just I think it's so important to be able to slow down and in a, even in a heated conversation, which I think I even struggle with this. I mean, not even like I think we all struggle with this, where like if you're in a conversation and you notice an insecurity, it can be very difficult. And I think at least for me, I would feel um, like it could be offensive to cut the person off and say something along the lines of, hey, like I'm actually very triggered right now. I'm very angry. I don't want to direct anger at you. Can we put this conversation on hold? We will talk about this, but can we talk about it two hours from now, tomorrow, in two days? Because the truth is, as much as I, I guess, present myself as an emotionally intelligent person, I don't always know how I feel. It can take me weeks, even months to be like, oh, this is how I feel about this thing that happened. And it can be weird to come to things later and be like, hey, like this thing that happened, I didn't like how it felt. Or um, even to yourself to backtrack on your own thoughts. And I think it's important that like we give ourselves the space and the grace to not know. To be able to in the moment say, wait, like I actually don't know why I'm mad at you. And is it okay if we like, wait like can can we talk about this later I don't want to say anything hurtful and I think that alone is very difficult to be able to in the moment be so present with yourself that you can say 
I am triggered, that alone is like several levels ahead of most of society. So I'm not saying that this is easy. I'm not saying that you're wrong for not doing this. I just wanted to like put a spotlight on that because um, what Ashley was saying made me think about it. And I think it's a very valuable thing to consider. Thank you. And I think those are really good points too. And I think another thing that makes that hard, that concept hard of kind of getting in touch with yourself and being able to pause what's going on is that you also have to be able to communicate and communicating feelings is a challenge in and of itself because they're feelings, right? They're not things that just materialize into the right words. You have to figure out how to articulate what you're feeling in that moment. Even if you don't know exactly what it was that upset you, being able to even understand that you are upset and not in a place to find a resolution to something is already challenging. And especially when you have very visceral visceral reactions to your emotions, like if you are not even able to think clearly, if you are feeling, you know, different sensations all over your body or, you know, pain somewhere, sometimes that's how feelings will present themselves. And that is hard to translate. So again, it's a lot of just like inner work and reflection on who you are, the type of relationship that you want to cultivate with others, and just knowing yourself, which is just hard to do for all of us. Mm -hmm. Like Ogi said, um, there are definitely times when I'm not able to articulate my feelings, times when I have to like check myself if I'm having like a discussion with someone about something I did that hurt them or something that they did that hurt me, where I have to remind myself that I'm not trying to win an argument. Mm-hmm. I am trying to find a solution to something. I'm trying to understand their perspective. I'm trying to heal. And sometimes our egos are just so strong that we're like winning this will make me feel better, even though it doesn't. At the end of the day, times I've dealt with situations like it was something to win. And when I felt like the winner, I didn't actually feel better. I felt worse. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing that you have to think about, too. I love that you mentioned that. So like some like historical context for mine and Ashley's relationship um, we were both in debate in high school. Ashley did debate much longer than I did. I only did it for one year. However, I think that just goes to show like how true it is that we both are very aware of how it feels to approach conversations with the goal to win. I Most of my life, I have seen myself as smarter than others <laughs> and then approach conversations with the mentality of like, I'm better than you. I am right. You are wrong. And like, came into it from the perspective of like, I am going to make them submit because I am better. And I would bring that mentality, which I think comes from like me being a fire sign, specifically in Aries, the sign of the God of war. Hello. And also it comes from this idea. It's an insecurity of like, first of all, you can't admit to yourself that it's possible that you're wrong or that you don't have the full truth. So you immediately project onto the other person, complete and total incorrectness which isn't true. The person probably has several points that are valid. And 
you are robbing yourself of the opportunity to learn something when you approach conversations, when you approach arguments, when you approach anything with the perspective of you want to win, you want to be the one that goes on top. And especially when it comes to relationships, like let's create a picture of like you and your best friend had a fight. Okay, you won the argument. Now what? Your friend is hurt. You're probably not going to feel comfortable around your friend for a while now because you beat them into submission to make them admit that you're correct and they're wrong. Like, what did you gain there? Your ego feels better, but does your friend feel better? Is your relationship better because of this argument? No. And if you were to approach that from the perspective of, wait, we are both having misunderstanding. How can we come closer to an understanding? What do, why do you feel this way? Oh, how interesting. This is how I feel. And that can be very hard to do in the moment. Let's be real. And I think it's worth it. I think it's really worth it. Because what's the point of being in relationships with others if it's not to get closer? It, but that's a real question. Like, why are you in a relationship with your friends? Why are you in a relationship with your romantic partner, with your family, if not to get closer to them? If it's to like, I don't know. I think that's at least that's how I view my relationships. And I think that's the thing is not everyone is in it for that reason. Right. Which is a shame. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a shame. I feel like I create relationships and maintain them and nurture them because I like feeling connected to people. But not everyone feels that way. Other people want relationships to bolster themselves other people want relationships to just not be alone either. Again, maybe they don't like themselves. Maybe they don't want to be alone. We and don't know. Valid. Yeah, there are totally different reasons. And um, whatever your motivations are for being in relationships, you know, that's your right. <laughs> but if your objective for being in relationships is to feel closer to people, is to foster an authentic and deep connection, when you go into conflict, you cannot go into your conflict with your ego as like your weapon. You shouldn't be going into a conflict with weapons at all when it comes to mm -hmm. our relationships. And I think that's where people kind of get confused. And, you know, I definitely understand that that's how I used to approach conflict. So it's not mm -hmm. like I'm in a place of supreme emotional intelligence because I'm also just always evolving and growing. And the one thing too about like the things that Oki and I have talked about where we've had to realize moments where we felt insecure or moments where we were unable to continue to have a conversation because what we were feeling, those moments of growth are extremely painful. Growth is not something that just happens miraculously and it feels good in the moment and you're excited to be experiencing it. Most of the time, those moments of growth are very painful and very uncomfortable. And people don't want to go through those like unpleasant feelings. And that's how I know I'm like getting older, right? <laughs> Is that <laughs> I am getting wiser about the times when I was stupid. And that that does feel good. Like looking back at moments where I made a decision and I'm like, I learned from that decision, but I will not make that decision again in the future. And when I made the wrong decision, I hurt myself or I hurt other people. And now I know instead 
what would be a more productive way to handle that conflict in a way that's going to consider everyone's feelings in a way that's going to consider the sustainability of the relationship as opposed to the sustainability of my ego. So, yeah. Yeah. Ugh, just like in the spirit of like communicating how we feel, I just, I love how we've gotten to this point in the conversation. Like I, we started talking about like why we hate on Depop resellers. And here we are talking about conflict resolution. I just think it's so beautiful. This is kind of like a window into like how our conversations just naturally go when we're with each other. We like have tangents, elaborate, expand, keep growing. And I don't know, I feel very happy right now because of this conversation we're having. I think it's not only fruitful, it's reminding me of like the own work that I need to do. I think I make this mistake with myself where I think that just because I have come to an understanding about like one thing, like let's talk about um, approaching conflict, right? Like there can be this cycle of like, oh, wow, I have this insight and like, I got it. Like I I have a foot on this and I know how to handle conflict. And then you come around and you approach conflict in a way that you haven't before. You're like, whoa, like what happened? And then you're able to like learn again and go deeper into your own growth. And I'm feeling that right now because I'm just like rethinking about things I've done and like seeing myself in a new way. And I think that's like the beauty of reflection is that you can go back to even the same memory and see it in a completely different more beautiful fun grandiose way if that's how you want to if that's where you're at if that's how you feel for real and I don't know I love that yeah and I think the last thing I kind of want to say tonight about like that and something you said earlier is I feel like when we're talking about our relationships and we're talking about conflict there's not always going to be an objective truth, right? There's not Mm. always going to be something that happened and these are all the facts of the case and this person is 100% wrong and this person is 100% right. Because we're talking about our feelings and we're talking about our emotions. Relationships have history. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really think you can look at it through that perspective either. I think it always just takes more insight on what you're looking to learn in that situation. I think like what you said right now kind of reminded me of that because you can like look back on previous conflicts in a new light. And I think that always happens, right? When you Mm -hmm. are far out of a conflict and you are able to see things more clearly in a way that might be closer to an objective truth in the way that you can see how you reacted and how you responded and acknowledge when maybe that wasn't the way that you really wanted to react. And maybe you were just so hurt that that's what you did as a response to protect yourself. So I don't know. Um, What are your closing thoughts on all of this, Ogi? Yeah, so like I wanted to kind of close out by saying that I think One of the most beautiful things about that process of being able to see things differently is by having people in your life that can like remind you who you are and also like remind you of like how they saw the situation. So like oftentimes you can be so much 
in yourself that you forget that other people are also experiencing something in their own unique way. And it, I just, I love that. I think it's beautiful that we get to have other people as mirrors. And because like the, the truth is, if I have a booger in my eye, I can't see it unless Ashley tells me, hey, you have a booger in your eye. But if Ashley points out my booger and I get mad at her for pointing it out, I'm not going to get the booger out of my eye. I'm going to keep walking around with a booger in my eye. So I have to say thank you to Ashley for telling me about myself. So I want to end by asking y'all, tell us about us. What are your thoughts? Oh like, my God. No. <laughs> are you going to hold us accountable? Like, what did we say? Um, I don't know. I want this to be a discourse. Like, you can probably already tell we love to talk. We love to think about things. And I hope our thoughts have been helpful to you. And I also want y'all to like call us out if something we said was dumb because you know I can be dumb sometimes yeah definitely don't be afraid to call us in for a moment Mm -hmm. to learn and grow as people um with that being said Ogi where can people find us so we started a tiktok it's called queers underscore squared is the handle We will be talking about basically the same things we're talking about here, but just like in short snippets, our own little thoughts. It may not be related to the episodes. I think it's just like another soapbox for us to, you know, continue soapboxing on. Yes, thank you. And another last announcement I wanted to make is our next episode will be released in Taurus season. So Mm -hmm. the way that we have set this up is we will be releasing an episode per Zodiac season. So this is being released during Aries season, and then we'll have one for Taurus and then so on and so forth. If you have any recommendations on what we should talk about during which Zodiac season, please feel free to let us know. We pretty much already have things laid out for the next few months, but maybe some of you are smarter than us, potentially. So we would also just like love to hear your thoughts on what we should talk about because, you know, we can also just have digressions as well. That's totally okay. It's not. And yeah, we welcome any feedback. Um, But thank you all for joining us. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope y'all have a wonderful day or night whenever you're listening. And we will see you next time. Yay. I hope to. Bye. Have a good night and day and life.